So as we dive into Jesus's teachings about prayer, I want to start with just a couple of things that are really important. It is fascinating just how much our approach to prayer as human beings, both Christians and non-Christians, in our approach to prayer, we actually see what we think that people are for. And here's what I mean by that. Like your idea of the purpose of your life, what you think you have air in your lungs for, the reason that you're alive, your telos or the end of your life, the reason that you were created and put on this planet will shape and form the way that you relate to prayer. Like if you think that you're just sort of a human animal or just a human machine that's just kind of surviving in life, the way that you're going to pray is occasional prayers of desperation when the stuff hits the fan and that's it right? Like you're going to pray foxhole prayers and that's going to be the extent of your prayer life. On the other hand, if you're really materialistic, like most of us are in our culture, if you think that your purpose as a human being is just to kind of be a pleasure machine that consumes goods and services, that's going to show up in the way that you pray. You're only going to pray about stuff. And your prayer life is going to kind of increase in moments where your stuff is threatened or your comfort's threatened. And when you're really happy and enjoying a lot of stuff, your prayer life's going to go away. If, on the other hand, you actually have a biblical, true view of what it means to be human, that God created you as a relational being, that he created you as a being that was designed to actually relate to a God who the Bible describes as love— and it's not just that he does loving things. It's that the very essence of God is that we serve and worship one God who's eternally existed in three persons as a community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, delighting in one another, relating to one another, sharing a depth of vulnerability with one another. The Father opening the very depths of his being to the Son, and the Son opening the depths of his being to the Father, and the Spirit of God in the midst of that relationship, mediating love and tenderness and presence, if we really see that God is one, and yet God is three, and in his very nature is love and relationship and joy, and get this, that he created human beings to be caught up into that relational wonder that he made you and me as human beings to drink of the fountainhead of delight, to actually know what it feels like to be fully seen, to be fully delighted in, and to be embraced into that community that's called the Trinity. If that's your purpose in life, then prayer is not just petition. Prayer is not just repentance. Prayer is, no matter what kind of praying you're doing, whether it's petition or intercession or repentance, prayer in its very essence is about you being what you were designed to be, a relational being that was made to commune with God, to drink in God's love, to be shaped by the love of God, to be formed by the love of God, to actually encounter God in public prayer and private prayer, in times of solitude and silence, in desperate whispers when life is really difficult, and in that prayer to actually meet with grace upon grace upon grace. And see, the very heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that because of sin, 
We are cut off from this God who created us to live in relationship with him. We're cut off. We can't get to him with good deeds. We can't get to him with moral behavior. We can't close the gap between us and an infinitely holy God in any bit of our own effort. And yet he loved us so very much. He sent Jesus to pay for our sin, to defeat death, to defeat the kingdom of darkness and the powers of evil in this world so that as we trust in Jesus, that gap between us and God is closed and we're brought in and through Jesus into the face of the Father. And listen, man, I I know there's a lot of things that you need. There's a lot of things that I need. I'm thinking about my list of stuff that needs to get done this week. I'm thinking about my daughter who's getting on a plane tomorrow to fly to the UK for a month of an internship and what that feels like as a daddy. There's a lot of things that I would put on the list as problems and concerns and desires. But here's the reality. Prayer at its very heart is sitting in the truth that the greatest treasure, the greatest need, and the greatest delight that you can ever encounter is actually to be with God and because of the righteousness of Jesus, have the Father's face shining on you as a good father who is pleased with you and who knows you to the very core of your being. And when that starts to shape your relationship with prayer, far from just being a duty, now that doesn't mean that you're just always going to be floating three inches off the ground and prayer's always going to be easy, but if you know what you were created to be as a human, and you know what Jesus did to bring you back into right alignment with God, and you know that when you approach the Father through the finished work of Jesus, what you're going to find again and again and again is mercy, prayer starts to become, prayer starts to become for the Christian as easy and as simple as breathing. We breathe in grace, we breathe out gratitude. That's what it is to be a Christian. And so what I want to do today as we look at this particular teaching of Jesus around prayer is I just want to show you three things that he points out that are profound and beautiful. And here's what he's really doing. Jesus is playing a vocation. He's placing a vocation on his church to prayer. Uh, He's placing a calling, a calling to be a prayerful people in light of the relational communion that's available to us through his finished work. So let me give you three things that might reshape your approach to prayer. Three things. One, we are called to be pursued pursuers of God. Like the very essence of prayer is that we are pursuing God, but we're pursuing God because God first pursued us in Jesus. And if you don't get this right, that you are a pursued pursuer, that the Father loves you, and that the Father is the prime mover in this relationship, you're constantly going to default to your dad issues that have shaped the way that you relate to God. Like, here's what I mean by that. If you think that it's just you pursuing God, that you're called by Jesus to ask, to seek, and to knock, and yet that door is constantly locked and bolted against you, and God is kind of tricky, like, Relating to God in prayer and pursuing God in prayer is kind of like trying to find an animal that doesn't want to be found or to get an autograph from a celebrity that would rather not talk to you, right? Or like if your high school experience was anything like mine, um, this pursuit of God is kind of like trying to talk to the pretty girl that wants nothing to do with you. 
If you think that God is the one that's distant and resistant, and it's your calling to kind of chase him down and rope him to the ground so that he'll spend time with you, prayer for you is always going to be dry and frustrating. It's going to be a drudgery. But here's what Jesus is doing here, and it's really beautiful. He is calling us to pursue God. He's calling us to an intensity and a hunger and a thirst to be with God to want to meet with God in scripture, to want to meet with God in corporate worship, to want to meet with God in our gospel communities throughout the week, to want to meet with God as we go into our private prayer closets and as we open scripture. He wants us to kind of be these crazy, desperate people who place every priority of our lives as secondary to being with God. But listen, he frames this entire sermon and rightly so because of who he is and what he came to do around God's desire to be with you. The reality is this, the whole Bible is the story of God's mission or God's pursuit to chase down his enemies and make his enemies his family. God's the one that chased down a pagan named Abram and brought him into this covenant of blessing. God's the one that chased down a guy who was a trickster named Jacob. And God wrestled with him in the wilderness to give him a new identity. God's the one that found a little indie rocker shepherd named David writing songs out in the field and being looked over by his dad and looked over by his brothers as too young and too artsy fartsy. And God sees him and chases him down in the field. God's the one that came to a 15-year-old peasant girl named Mary who was just minding her own business and planning her wedding. And God pursued her and called her into a profound relationship with our Savior. God's the one that pursued John the Baptist. Like, before John the Baptist had done anything good or bad, just as a baby in his mother's womb, God pursued him and filled him with the Holy Spirit. God chased down Peter when he was fishing He chased down a guy named Saul when he was on a jihad to kill Christians. Again and again and again and again. If you just look at the story of the Bible, it's not that people get to God or find God or choose God or chase down God. It's that God is overflowing with this generous, giving nature in which he comes after people that don't even know how to find him or get to him or possess the blessings that he has for us. So here's the reality. Look look at me. You're called in prayer to be a pursuer of God, but the beginning and the middle and the end of your pursuit of God is all foundationally built upon the reality that God wants to be with you more than you even want to be with him. See, if you're a Christian, it's because God chose you. And if you're not a Christian and you're in this room today, you're not here because of social pressure alone. You're not here because your friends talked you into it or baited you with brunch. You're here because your whole life has been moving towards this moment because of God's sovereign hand in which you could hear the story of Jesus and be invited into a relationship that redefines the very essence of who you are. God chooses God's the one that initiated by sending his son Jesus to die for you. 
He's the one that raised Jesus from the dead for you. He's the one that loved you before you loved him. If you believe in Jesus, he's the one that gave you the gift of faith. Hey, listen, if there's anything in your life that's sinful and you're convicted today and you're leaning towards repentance, that repentance is a gift from your father. He's the one that draws you. He's the one that fills you. He's the one that convicts you. And he's the one that promised that he'll finish what he started in you. To be a praying Christian is to be a pursued pursuer. So listen, if that's true, if that's true and it is true, then prayer is not as much about the right posture or getting the right formula down. Prayer is more than anything else simply stepping into this stream of all of human history in which God, because of his great mercy and love, wants to be with you and meet with you and form you. You and me are called to be pursued pursuers. So think about it like this before we move on. Uh, The Christian life as a house, the foundation of that house and the walls of that house and the roof of that house That's all the pursuit of God. Like another way to even talk about grace, which is God's mercy and kindness towards his enemies because of the finished work of Jesus, that grace is pursuit. The whole house is God being the prime mover. And in the house, your prayer and your Bible study and your willingness to brave hail and, you know, cars and animals floating by Oklahoma streets, right? Your willingness to do whatever it is that you do in your spiritual disciplines to be with God, your journaling or your Bible study or your discipleship group that meets together to confess sin, all of those good and right disciplines, that's the furniture inside the house that God's built. And that furniture is really important. We should use it. We should sit in it. We should pull a chair up to that table. But the house that you live in is that God wants to be with you. He loves you. And he wants to form you to know that love. Secondly, the vocation of prayer is that we're called to be persistent pursuers. Like we're these pursued pursuers, but Jesus also wants there to be this persistence to our pursuit. When he says, ask, seek, knock, he's not using those three words as distinct different categories, Right? It's not like there's one theological meaning for seeking and a different theological meaning for knocking. Jesus is using those three things to multiply his metaphors, to raise up the volume and say, listen, your life as a Christian needs to have a persistence in your Godward orientation. There needs to be a hunger and a dependence that marks your Christian life. And all Christians feel the pull of the world. We all get weary of seeking God. We all grow dry at times in our life. There's always times for all Christians where we set our Bibles down and we stop seeking and studying. There's times we get distracted. There's times we get busy. There's times where life starts to choke us and we don't really know that we need God or that we're dependent upon God. Hey, there's times where the the greatest danger to your spiritual vitality is just success. Like, life's going pretty well. I don't really think I need God right now. And what Jesus is doing in this text by saying, hey, ask, seek, knock, he's reminding you and me that the tone of the Christian life is this persistence in our sojourning on this planet 
to lift up our eyes again and again and again to reorient ourselves around the greatest need for all of us, which is to hear the voice of our Father. It's to be with our Father. This means that your spiritual disciplines, we should talk more as a church about spiritual disciplines. Like nobody, nobody accidentally falls into greater holiness, right? Like you're, you're not gonna just go on cruise control for the next 12 months and just spend all of your free time watching Netflix and hanging out, drinking good coffee or good beer or whatever it is that you're into in our city. You're not just gonna accidentally without any intentionality or forethought wake up in 12 months and be like, wow, that's weird. I'm a lot more like Jesus. That was easy. (laughs) No, because listen, you're constantly being formed in our culture to love things more than you should love them. You're constantly being formed in our culture to believe the lie that your deepest delight is going to be found in people and places and things. You're constantly being formed. You're constantly being fed a steady stream of information designed to make you an anxious consumer. Can I get an amen? The onslaught of that information is so unceasing and steady that without intentionality, you're just going to flow down the cultural stream with everybody else in our city. And listen, spiritual disciplines are you taking responsibility to meet with God in prayer, to meet with God in community, to meet with God in study of his word, to meet with God in confession to meet with God in the sacraments that he's provided for your sanctification, those disciplines and all the other wonderful spiritual disciplines like silence and solitude and fasting, look at me, those disciplines are God's gifts to you so that you can actually put an oar in the water and go upstream in our culture. And if you don't put your oar in the water, if you're not willing to work towards sanctification and holiness. Notice I didn't say work to earn your salvation. It's a gift of God's grace. But if you're not willing to sweat and to toil and to take your spiritual formation seriously, you're just going to drift aimlessly and you're not going to enjoy the full benefits of what Jesus has purchased for you. Like some of you, and, and let's just be really honest, some of you think that grace means that nothing changes in your life. And I just want to say what grace actually does, it awakens your heart to the wonder and splendor of God, and it calls you to a life of Godward orientation that takes attention, it takes time, it takes focus. And I want to just say, like some of you guys, let, let me put it like this. You cannot lose your salvation if you really are born again and love Jesus. You can't lose your salvation. But you know what you can lose? You can lose your enjoyment of communion with God. You can lose the delight of assurance of that salvation. You can, you can move towards a dark, cynical place where you're constantly doubting whether or not God is even for you or if the gospel's even truly good news for your particular life. 
And what spiritual disciplines, what persistent pursuit does is it keeps saying again and again and again, hey, the most important thing in my life is not my job. It's not working on my abs at the gym. Sorry, Charlie. (laughs) Right? It's not your hobbies. It's not all the cool stuff there is to do in this city. Hey, listen, it's not even your marriage or your kids. The most important thing in your life is to actually be with the Father, hear his voice, and be transformed by his love. And spiritual disciplines, if we were to just be as simple as we can, spiritual disciplines are places to meet with God to be changed by him. That's what they are. So listen, Jesus is saying, your calling in prayer, it's to be this pursued pursuer. Like, because God loves you and wants to be with you, seek after God. Ask, seek, knock. Be persistent pursuers. Go after God. Go after God, knowing, listen, if you go after God, he's not going to give you a stone or a snake. Sometimes the good gifts he gives his children are hiddenness. Like, has anybody ever had a season in your life where you're like praying and you're studying and just the presence of God is not felt or enjoyed? Am I the only one that's ever gone through that? Like, sometimes you're doing all the spiritual disciplines that you've always done, and it just sounds like crickets are answering you. Feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, man. Uh, I have whole stretches where I'm like opening up the Bible, and I'm embarrassed to admit this. I have seasons where it feels like reading a phone book to my soul. Like, wow, this is not moving my heart. Feeling doubt, I'm feeling angst, I'm feeling restlessness. Like, I would kind of rather read Lonesome Dove right now and just check out. And, and here's what I want you to get. Since Jesus promises the Father's never going to give anything but good gifts to his children, even those seasons where he seems hidden, it's not because he's abandoned you. It's because he's deepening you to trust in him and have your faith mature so that you depend not on your emotions or your experiences, but on the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Last thing, we're called not only to be persistent pursuers, but this is really important. We're called to be purified pursuers. Purified pursuers. See, this instruction that Jesus gives us about asking, seeking, knocking, it's found in the Sermon on the Mount, duh, And what that means is this whole sermon is Jesus talking about what the kingdom of God will look like on this planet as we're formed to obey and follow Jesus. And what Jesus is really concerned about in this whole sermon is that our actions and our hearts would be connected. That our words and our beliefs would be connected. That our affections or our desires and our practices would be connected. Jesus wants us to be an integrated whole, right? He doesn't want us to say we love God or feel love for God and not actually obey God with our bodies. He wants us to be these really rare, weird beings where we're integrated human beings with Jesus as the Lord of our lives. And so when he gets to this part of his sermon and he says, ask, seek, knock, here's what you see. There's this invitation as we ask, seek, and knock to see God more clearly over time and to be formed to look like Jesus more over time. And here's what this has to do with prayer. Um, When I first started asking, seeking, and knocking, I'm embarrassed to admit that a lot of the things I was asking and seeking and knocking for 
were things that would just prop up my false identity, my lack of trust in the grace and work of God in Jesus. A lot of the things I asked and sought and knocked for were actually things that would help me be more distant and hidden from God, not closer and more known by God. Let me give you a few examples. These are really embarrassing, but I'll give them to you nonetheless. God, will you, uh, this is early Josh, not that I never struggle with these things today, but this is Josh planning Frontline Church. Um, Hey God, I'm asking, I'm seeking, and I'm knocking that you would grow my ministry platform so I won't feel so small and ashamed. God, I'm asking, seeking, and knocking that you'll grow the church and make it bigger so that I can feel like I matter. Too honest? God, I'm asking, seeking, and knocking that you'll help me look good so that people will like me. Or God, will you make my preaching impressive so that I can feel important? Or God, will you show people how admirable I am because I'm working really hard so they won't reject me and I won't be lonely? Now, I didn't have the self-awareness or the clarity in those prayers to really parse out what I was really asking. But here's what happens over time. The more you get to be with God and the more you're engaging God in those places of formation, the more his character starts to shift and tweak what we're really praying for. And what starts to happen over time is you see just how generous God is, how kind God's been to you, what he's done for you in Jesus. What starts to happen is your desires over time, never perfectly in this life, but your desires over time as a disciple of Jesus start to change and your prayers stop being, let my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) And your will starts to line up more and more with the will of God. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that praying for your job or your body or your kids or your desires or your concerns are bad. Those are all things that God cares about and wants to hear about. But the scripture teaches sometimes We ask and we have not because we're asking with wrong motives that we could squander the blessings of God on our kingdom of self. So let me give you some prayers that God is really likely to answer. God, will you help me to love your word? That's a prayer he's gonna answer. God, will you show me the depth of my sin and the depth of your grace and help me to repent more fully? God, will you teach me your love and make me more loving to the world around me? God, will you help me to lay down my life for my spouse and for my kids and for my community? Instead of protecting myself, teach me to die to myself. That's a prayer he's really likely to answer. Here's a deadly prayer. God, teach me to be patient. God's like, oh, sucker. I'll get you. I'll get you full with that prayer. God, will you form me to be a person who abounds in faith, in hope, and in love? My point is this. My point is this. It's not that 
in your early walk with Jesus, you need to constantly navel gaze at your prayers and be worried that maybe you're praying with bad motives. What I'm saying is, the more you engage in prayer and in study and in learning who God is, the more your motives and your desires are going to be shaped and the more your prayers are going to shift to what really matters eternally. Because listen, the only thing that's eternal, this is really important, the only thing that's eternal, not your career, not your credentials, not your stuff, not your dream home, all that stuff is going to crumble even before the end of this world. And there is a point where this world is going to be over and remade as something totally new and better. So all that stuff that matters so much, man, our bodies even, all of that stuff has an end date like a can of Budweiser. And the thing that really is going to last, get this, the thing that's really going to last, the thing that's eternal, you and the people around you. That means, that means what we should be asking for and seeking is not just the stuff that the Gentiles ask and seek for. We should be asking and seeking the things that are going to last forever. God, please teach my kids to love you. God, please teach my kids to love truth and not the fantasies of this world. God, teach me to not be enslaved to pleasure God, teach me to really enjoy my identity as a son of God, as a daughter of God. These are the things that are going to carry over, not just in this life, but in the next life as well. And what happens is as you start to encounter the love of God in this kind of pursued pursuit and persistent pursuit and purified pursuit, what's going to start to happen is it's going to logically flow into what Jesus says in verse 12. This is not disconnected from what Jesus just said to us. Verse 12 So whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. When you experience God's kindness, his generosity, his forgiveness, his mercy, the riches he's lavished on you in Jesus, what's going to start to happen is you're going to navigate relationships with other people in a really different way. It's really hard to love your neighbor as yourself really hard unless you just stepped out of an encounter with the love of God where you saw how much he cares about you and sees you and wants to be with you and how you brought this really ugly, gross, sinful thing to him. And instead of him killing you or crushing you, he reminded you of the provision that he made for your sin on the cross And he's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. And if you confess your sin to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you. Like when you just had that encounter with God and you walk across the street and your neighbor snubs you, it's a lot harder to give them what they deserve instead of giving them what you would want them to do for you. This is why in this world, we need communion with God in prayer again and again and again and again and again. Because without that, you're not going to have the supply that you need to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Amen? So listen, if you're like, oh gosh, that was really, that was really either depressing, like, oh man, I guess I need to pray. That's going to be really hard. Dang it. Should have used the weather as an excuse to not come to Frontline today. Really missed my opportunity. 
No one, no one would have even been mad at me. Listen, hey, nobody knows how to do these disciplines of prayer and seek God without a community around them helping them. And that's why we're here. We're here to help each other encounter God. And in fact, let me put it like this. Literally everything we do as a church, membership renewal that's coming up this month, community groups, discipleship groups, women's gatherings, men's gatherings, Sunday morning, like literally everything we do as a church is all about helping you and our city encounter God. So you don't have to be overwhelmed. You just need to raise your hand and grab somebody that maybe knows a little bit more about prayer than you and say, hey, will you help me? I don't know how to pray. It stresses me out. I sit down and I'm just like anxious and quiet and I walk away being more stressed out after prayer than before. Hey, there's people that would like to pray with you and help you. And there's pastors that would like to help you. If you don't know how to read your Bible, it'd be a delight for us to help you figure out where to start in seeking out God's word and encountering his love and his word.